0: What a joy to open the living word of God together today. We're in John 5. As we continue to think about what it means to watch and wait. John 5, 1 through 15. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many ill blind, lame, and paralyzed people. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The ill man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. "'At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. "'Now that day was a Sabbath. "'So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, "'It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat.' "'But he answered them, "'The man who made me well said to me, "'Take up your mat and walk.' "'And they asked him, "'Who was the man who said to you, "'Take it up and walk?' "'Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, "'for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd.' That was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, you make all things new. Today we seek you for wisdom and what you have for us to know, for what you want us, God, to apply to our lives from this passage. Thank you for your presence always with us. We put our hope in you. Amen. Our passage today begins with the words after this, so let's figure out what that was before we start. In the previous chapter, Jesus purposefully goes through Samaria to meet a woman at a well with whom he had a life-changing conversation. And when she realizes to whom she is speaking, she brings her whole village and introduces him as the Messiah. Jesus stays a few days and many believe And this highlights for us how good it is, as Carol reminded us, to go and tell others about the God we have personally met. Jesus leaves and then he goes back to Cana in Galilee where he is asked to heal a child of a royal official. The child is very sick and the father travels to see Jesus who is going, the the son is going to die. And Jesus hears this and heals the boy in that instant. Although the dad doesn't know that until he goes home. And then his whole household believes. So what John is demonstrating in these chapters is how Jesus is God. Authoritative, compassionate, invitational, purposeful, engaging. John wants everyone to know that Jesus brings new life to those who are desperately, desperately needing hope. And as the reader thinks about these miraculous happenings, another powerful story is told. This one takes place in Jerusalem, where a Jewish festival was going on, which meant there were a lot of people in the city. There was a pool there that was believed to be a place of healing. And underneath the pool, there was probably a natural spring which would bubble up occasionally. However, many people believed that the water was stirred by a divine hand. And the first person who touched the water after it had been disturbed was healed from their infirmity. Now, we're unsure how much of this is true, but many people believed it or had experienced it that so many desperately sick people stayed there of being made whole. Now there's an episode in the television drama, The Chosen, which portrays the man that Jesus writes about, or that John writes about in this story. Of course, the show takes artistic license to fill in what could have happened behind the scenes in the biblical account. In their version, this man is paralyzed as a young boy, and he can't walk. And that changes his life forever. And in the show, he is close to a brother. But as they grow and their parents pass on, the brother goes off to find his way, leaving the paralyzed man alone. With little to live on, he goes to the pool with a hope of being healed when the waters are stirred. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when you watch how he can never quite get there. The waters get disturbed and people just run for the water and they trample him and they run past him and he's trying and he's trying to get there and he can't. And as years go by, we see him get old and resigned, but stays, stays in case something will change. This is his existence. Alone, surrounded by other sick people with no prospect and running out of hope. Still, he doesn't leave the water, even when his aging body can no longer move as fast as it used to. The man stayed a long time in one place, hoping for something specific to happen, even though it just brought continuous despair. For an earnest soul to remain in one place, looking in one direction for most of their life, for what they most want, is a commitment of great proportion. He is waiting, and he is watching, to no avail. So I want to pick out four aspects of this story to see what insights we glean in this time of Advent, we who continue to wait and watch in our lives. The first aspect we want to focus in on is the question Jesus asks the man. Do you want to be made well? This has become a famous question truthfully in the church because it's a pertinent question for all of us to answer at some point. At first we might think, oh, this is kind of a dumb thing to ask. Of course the guy wants to be made healed. Look at him. No one wants to live that way. But we know from our own limited experience how scary it is to have our lives changed. Even a real opportunity for a miraculous healing might give us second thoughts. So we might stay in something that is profoundly unhealthy in our families, in our jobs, in our addiction, in our relationships, even though what is happening might not be good for our souls because staying in it might be easier than an unknown future. What happens when we let go of something that has been part of our lives for so long? It has become part of us, even if we hate it. Was this man ready to be healed when the majority of his life has been built around living with and managing his disability? if he gets healed he has to go make a living he'd have to interact in a society that has changed a lot john says he's been sick for 38 years so if he became ill as a child we might estimate him being in that portico for up to 20 years he has to find a place to live Answer a difficult question, make friends, learn new skills, including how to walk again. He has to reconnect with family and friends who maybe haven't seen him for a while. Some will rejoice, but others will scoff at him and condemn him. So no, this is not a dumb question. Still, we wonder why Jesus asks it. The man doesn't even know who's talking to him. Is it a way to prepare him for what's going to happen next? Is it a way to give a choice? We have freedom. We work in tandem with God when he comes to us. The man is helpless to heal himself, but he has to want it. Notice how the man doesn't answer. He explains the process. In some ways, complaining a little bit about how no one is available to help him because people step over him all the time. It's almost as though we hear him wanting to know if Jesus might be a person who will help get him to the water. That's not going to happen. Instead, Jesus commands, stand up, take your mat, and walk. And instantaneously, the man is made well and does what Jesus says. Now, I confess that most of my life I've read this kind of with the same mindset as a child reading a picture book. There is a man. He cannot walk. He is sad. Here comes Jesus to help. The man is healed. He is glad and goes dancing away. Now that gets the basics. But it doesn't really capture real life, does it? When I watched The Chosen, it gave such a real perspective of what could have happened. Because after showing the desperation of how the man can never quite make it to the water, it's as though he isn't really quite sure who this person is who's talking to him. And when Jesus commands him to get up and walk, the man can hardly believe it. And he feels a change in his leg and he starts to take a few steps. But instead of dancing away, he begins to sob he just cries. And it's such a wrenching scene while at the same time so moving to see the liberation that this man is experiencing. He just weeps and weeps. And Jesus says, I know. I know. They vividly portray what it looks like when God shows up with the miraculous and how a torrent of vulnerability and joy and sorrow and regret and the lost years come together in one profound moment as he realizes that he doesn't have to sit there anymore. It's a complex and beautiful thing to be healed by Jesus. That's why I'm here. I hope that's why you're here. The second aspect of this story is the Jewish leaders. Because Jesus was specific in the command he gave, stand up, take your mat, and walk, the man just does that. The problem is, it's the Sabbath. So instantly, those who keep the law of God are angry and looking for someone at fault. This is a very, very important commandment, the Sabbath, it, it, it separates the Jewish people from the pagan neighbors. It's an acknowledgment that God is God and we are not. So there's no breaking the law on the Sabbath. But let's be clear about a few things. The leaders aren't wrong, first of all, right? So remember that. It was unlawful to carry him out on the Sabbath. And also, Jesus probably did it on purpose. I mean, Jesus, you could have waited another day. The man wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) So Jesus stirs up those who are focused on the regulations in such a way that the law is a burden instead of a joy. And Jesus is trying to say God is bigger than the Sabbath and God will offer mercy. God will do the work of God whenever God wants. Even if humans think it is inappropriate or inconvenient or it causes fear. And in those moments, we can choose to react with blaming or being righteously indignant, or we can stop and try to listen for what God is doing. Because if we don't, we might miss the miracle. This brings us to the third aspect that we want to think about. Jesus finding the man again. Dr. Bob Gundry gives us insight into what we're seeing into this passage when he says, this is not a case of Jesus versus the authority of the Jewish leaders. It's actually a contest between Jesus' authority and the authority of the Mosaic law, which prohibited work on the Sabbath. And we see here in verse 11 how the man, when told that carrying his mat was not lawful, points to the authority of the person who healed him. He does that because he can be stoned. He can be killed for breaking the law. So he appeals to the authority of the one who did it, the one whose idea it was, He might not be trying to get Jesus into trouble, but he doesn't want to die after receiving such new life. This may be why John records a later interaction or why Jesus gives it. Right after the healing, Jesus disappears. So when the man is asked who did it, the man doesn't know. But all the leaders care about is the man breaking the law. And all the man cares about is being healed. So completely missing one another. And into this impasse comes Jesus again, which allows the man to identify him as the one. Jesus is stepping in to fight the battle because this is God's work. But look what Jesus says to the man. See that you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse will happen to you. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) But it's something for us to ponder and to think about. Sin is real, God cares about it. But Jesus teaches elsewhere that disease is not caused by our sin. Disease is not a punishment from the Lord for the things that we do wrong or the things that others do to us. But here he seems to be saying that there are worse things than being sick for 38 years. So that's worth us thinking about. What's worse? What's worse than this man's life for 38 years What he's already endured? I don't know. Choosing to live for himself, not not giving God praise for this thing that's happened, not not going and living his life in a way that honors God, being unaware of, of who healed him. All of those things are living apart from God. That's my best guess. Maybe at your lunch table, you could talk about it and figure it out. I, I don't know, but it's something for us to think about. The last aspect of this story we want to notice It's just how we can get hugely fixated in the wrong direction. We can get stuck by only seeing what we want to see and that can consume us. The man was so focused on one way of being healed that he couldn't see another way. He didn't want to live with his condition naturally so spent his life seeking the solution that he thought was best. No wonder Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? That's the absolute correct question. The man is so laser focused on one thing that he can't imagine that someone would come along and offer a different answer. He doesn't have a framework for it. And then the Savior shows up. In Advent, we emphasize waiting, which is a good picture of all of humanity before God. And we ask ourselves, what's our character? Who are we in waiting? What are the kinds of things that we can do while we wait? But this, this is a passage about watching. The man is watching, watching for the waters to be stirred so that he can go and try and get in. Watching so intently, he almost missed God. When our focus is on something that ultimately won't help us, either because it can't, or because we can't access it, or because it's not God's will, we're in trouble. But we do that all the time, don't we? We buy products marketed to make us live longer or to look good. We go to self-help books and alternative philosophies to make us feel better. We worship at the altar of gyms and bars and online sites and vacations. We buy lottery tickets to win big. We want the love in our relationships to save us. But this passage challenges what we're fixated on. We laugh at the story about the person who was on a desert island who prays for help and then turns away the boat and the plane and the helicopter or whatever. Why? Because they were watching for the wrong thing. God did show up and and brought three different types of help, but in their mind, no, 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 it's supposed to look different. How often is this us? So we ask ourselves, what are we looking at today? Watching intently, hoping beyond hope that this one thing, this one thing that we are hoping will change and make everything better and change everything about our existence will happen. What is the pool that you are sitting at, watching for just the right conditions to occur? But maybe when they do, you keep getting trampled and you just can't seem to make it. And in that circumstance, it's hard to make room for Jesus or to even see him. The man was defeated. And God met him. And I'm not saying that what he did was wrong in any way. He did what he had to do to survive. And God comes and graciously meets us, graciously meets us when we're looking in the wrong way and offers us help even when we don't know him or even when we don't know what to ask and we don't know what's possible. We rejoice in how this person was healed and we hold tension with the ways that others Some here are not healed physically. But I believe that an important part of the lesson today is that God always comes. God always comes to those who are downtrodden and without hope and brings new life. The kind of answer Jesus may bring may not be what we want, but it's a gift. The Jewish leaders are watching the wrong thing also. They're watching Jesus intently, hoping that he makes a wrong move because they want to keep the status quo. Both the man and the leaders are focused on the wrong things, and Jesus tries to help them to see and look in a new direction if they will. So as we go to prayer, I really want you to ask where it is that you have been watching in your life for something to change. Are we focused on Jesus, the living word, Emmanuel, the God with us? Because we don't want to intently watch the wrong thing. If we're distracted and obsessed about things that aren't eternal, instead of worshiping the king of glory, then we're going to get mad when God shows up and things don't go the way we want and we might miss him altogether There's no hope in the world more impactful than Jesus. So let us watch and wait for the Savior in this time of Advent. Let us watch with earnest hearts and hopeful spirits. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.